what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. $20 million, a House memo outlines payments Hunter Biden received from Russian and Kazakh oligarchs. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspends Orlando's top prosecutor. What's behind the sudden move? Massachusetts is paying $45 million a month to house illegal immigrants. Will the federal government give them aid? We'll speak to an analyst about what that would mean. An electric vehicle manufacturer once lauded by President Biden for producing electric buses now faces bankruptcy. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news. In a sudden move, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has suspended the top prosecutor in Orlando, accusing her of neglecting her duty. Speaking in Tallahassee this morning, DeSantis said Monique Worrell's suspension is effective immediately. He said her policies have too often allowed violent criminals to escape the full consequences of their crimes, and that endangers innocent local civilians. He appointed former Judge Andrew Bain to replace her. Similarly, last year, DeSantis suspended State Attorney Andrew Warren for not prosecuting cases involving abortion or transgender procedures for minors. The 2024 fight for a U.S. Senate seat in Arizona may be heating up if Carrie Lake decides to throw her hat into the ring. The Arizona Republican said she's mulling over a possible Senate run in 2024. She will announce her decision in the next few months. Lake named Trump as her main motivation, wanting to be there if he is re-elected. Democrats will be watching closely since they can't afford to lose a Senate seat. If Lake moves forward with her candidacy, then Arizona may become a key battleground state in the fight for Senate control. Her candidacy would likely create a three-way race between independent Senator Kirsten Sinema and Democrat Ruben Gallego. Last month, Lake said she looked at the polling and believes she's the only one who can win the race. Big changes in Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign. A third major staffing shakeup leaves him with a new campaign manager. James Uthmeyer, who served as chief of staff in DeSantis' governor's office, is replacing Janera Peck. Here to discuss is the director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024, Roger Simon. Roger Simon, thank you for joining us. Thanks for me. I'd love to be here. It's always fun. Roger, Ron DeSantis has just replaced his campaign manager in a third campaign shakeup. What do you make of this? Yeah, well, this is a kind of an old political tradition. I'm old enough to see it a lot of times. And, and the sad truth of it is, it's a lot of baloney. Because what it is, is it's the candidate looking for an excuse. Once, the, once these campaigns wrap up, this one has been pretty endless, obviously, uh, you, you realize, and I, I have realized in the past, that it's the candidate. It's not uh, all these other guys and girls who get shipped in and out as campaign manager or special assistant or whatever title they want to get. Uh, they're just, um, they're really second fiddle to the person that is in charge. And I think right now this reflects directly on, on DeSantis. And what does it say about him? Well, I, I think maybe... The, the, in that brutal television phrase, he wasn't ready for prime time. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he did well in Florida, no question about it. Uh, but I think 
like uh, he thought he was ready to take on Trump, and he really wasn't. And I think that's that's Mitch. Now he's got you know other people nipping at his heels, including Vivek Ramaswamy, who never did it before, with a lot less money than he has. Well, not exactly, because Ramaswamy's got a fortune of his own, which is a kind of strange commentary on our culture now, because the people who are free to say what they want, without having to be at the behest of donors, are rich people like Trump and Ramaswamy. You know, it seems like a lot of DeSantis's hope for his campaign comes from the fact that he uh, won his gubernatorial race kind of coming from behind, almost against all odds. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like it. You know, the, the, the New York Times just came out about a few minutes ago, actually, uh, with the, the breathless report that he has less money than reported. I mean... What does this mean in the end? I, I think it really means less than we say. Uh, what, they, you know, I mean, there are two kinds of media that, that these candidates get. One is advertising media, which takes money, obviously. And then there is what I think they call it earned media. In other words, getting on a show with you or anybody else. Uh, and and they don't that doesn't take money i mean i'm not being paid to come here and and what that that is i think more valuable and what is the problem with DeSantis is he doesn't handle that very well so there are a lot of other excuses that go out of there i read another one on the hill it said he's bearing down too much on woke well really I mean, I, I don't. It's maybe w the way he does it rather than that he does it. Well, Roger Simon, thank you so much for your time. My my pleasure. The second Republican presidential primary debate is set to be hosted by Fox Business. Univision and Rumble are partnering with them for the debate. It's set for September 27th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. Fox will also air the first GOP primary debate on August 23rd in Milwaukee. Senator Dianne Feinstein took a quick trip to the hospital after a minor fall in her home yesterday. Her spokesperson said all of her scans were clear and she returned home. At the age of 90, Feinstein was hospitalized with shingles earlier this year. It meant she missed over two months of work in the Senate. She declined a request to resign and said she would continue until the end of her term in January 2025. Coming up with a new law protecting women's sports passed in Texas this week, NTD spoke with a chapter leader from the Independent Women's Network about the impact. And wildfires burning across Maui and Hawaii prompt evacuations as passing Hurricane Dora helps fuel the blazes. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Hunter Biden and Associates received $20 million in foreign payments, according to a House memo. Millions of it came from Russians and Kazakh oligarchs. The 19-page memo is the third about the Biden family business dealings. 
The memo shows redacted screenshots of bank records. It also says President Biden met with the same people that paid his son the millions of dollars. It brings the total money Hunter received to over $20 million. The memo states Joe Biden, the brand, was the only product the Bidens sold. It outlines how the then-Vice President joined over 20 phone calls and attended dinners with Russian oligarchs and other business associates. We have some breaking news. The two Americans kidnapped in Haiti have been freed. That's according to humanitarian organization El, Ru El Rio El Roy Haiti. The New Hampshire woman and her child went missing around two years ago. Around the same time, the U.S. State Department ordered non-emergency personnel to depart Haiti, citing reason, rising violence and frequent kidnappings. Emergency declared in Massachusetts over the illegal immigrant influx. The sanctuary state's facilities are pushed to the limit with 20,000 people living in them, an 80% increase from a year ago. Now, Democratic Governor Mara Healey calls on Washington for help. We discussed with Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica Vaughn, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Jessica, leaders from sanctuary jurisdictions like Massachusetts and New York City are asking for federal aid to support them in handling the overflow of migrants there. Um, how would such aid impact the situation at the southern border itself? Well, merely giving the local governments or state governments like Massachusetts federal funding is not going to do anything to stop um, the influx of illegal migration. Uh, it might even attract more because it enables these sanctuary jurisdictions to keep providing support to the illegal arrivals. And are these the only two jurisdictions that have requested financial aid uh, in handling I illegal immigrants in their cities so far? As far as I know, they these are the only jurisdictions that are asking for emergency assistance. Um, it possibly the District of Columbia did a while back because they're a uniquely federal jurisdiction. Um, but um, we could see more of this if the Biden administration decides to to help them by uh, giving this money from the from FEMA. So you're saying it would be like a type of precedent. Definitely. It, it would um, set the tone that the Biden administration is willing to underwrite this, although there's a limit to what they can do because Congress has to appropriate this money. And I would suspect that the House of Representatives would be very reluctant to provide money to the Biden administration to um, try to gloss over what is really a self-inflicted problem caused by uh, the Biden administration's policies. It's not some kind of humanitarian disaster in the sense of an earthquake or a hurricane or something. Now, what other non-financial options do leaders in these sanctuary juris jurisdictions have to handle this influx of illegal immigration in their places? Well, it's tough for um, state and local governments because they have limited tools. They can't stop the federal government from allowing all these people into the country. So um, the smartest uh, solution really is to not encourage illegal migrants to settle there, not to have sanctuary policies, not to be giving out shelter and um, food and benefits. I mean, it, it's tough because you don't want people to starve 
but you also don't want to encourage people. Now, Massachusetts just started giving out driver's licenses to illegal aliens. That is definitely one reason why many of them are flocking there. So you can avoid those kinds of policies that serve as a magnet. Now, we recently saw images of armed men coming across the southern border in Texas. Uh, they're believed to be cartel members. What does that tell us about the situation there? Well, the first thing it tells us is that uh, the border is not secure, uh, certainly not by a reasonable definition. Um, it also tells us how much the criminal organizations do control at least their side of the border, uh, the southern side of the border, and um, how they are taking advantage of the lack of security there to uh, enhance their criminal and expand their criminal operations. Where is this border situation going if, if it continues on this course? Well, we are in the midst of a vast social and security experiment with this situation. Um, I think that um, if Congress decides to cut off the fire hose of money to the Biden administration and, and therefore the state and local governments that are dealing with this, that's going to be the incentive that they need to actually change the policies. And of course, um, political pressure also uh, is, is probably going to be the only thing, only other thing that the Biden administration um, will consider uh, in whether to go forward with this open border policy. Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you. Thank you. Mexico's top diplomat is visiting Washington, D.C. today. Secretary of Foreign Relations Alicia Barsena is scheduled to meet with the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, as well as other officials. They will likely discuss the fight against fentanyl and the trafficking of firearms. Also a potential topic, the controversial border buoys in the Rio Grande that were deployed by Texas. Mexico recently complained about them and asked that they be removed. Women's sports are in the spotlight. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill to protect them this week. NTD's Daniel Monahan spoke with Independent Women's Network chapter leader Michelle Evans on the Save Women's Sports Act. The bill signing ceremony took place at the Texas Women's Hall of Fame. The Save Women's Sports Act is now law in the state of Texas. The law prohibits men from competing in a college-level athletic competition designated for women. It also enables people to get help from the courts if a Texas public college or university violates the act's provisions. Evans discusses its impact. It protects um, women's right to fairness, dignity, dignity and privacy in their spaces if they're competing on an athletics team at an elite level in particular. So it helps to defend um, our right to fair play. Evans arrived with Riley Gaines and other female athletes to attend the signing. They were confronted by a group of activists after the event. Trans lives matter! Trans lives matter! Campus police had to escort people out, um, flanking them in the front and the back, including young children who were there. There were a few young girls who were there because they are elementary school athletes, um, and they were interested in seeing the signing. 
they were shouted down, screamed at, um, intimidated by the protesters as they were leaving, these third through fifth grade girls. Screamed at them, screamed profanities at them. Um, they were shooting the middle finger in front of these kids. It was insane. I mean, completely disrespectful of those children. And they were frightened. They were very frightened. Evans says she was physically assaulted while passing by some protesters. They got into my face, pushed me, hit me, shoved me, and one spit into my eye. She says a protester in a pink ski mask was given a citation for Class C misdemeanor assault for the incident. Evans is calling on others to join the movement. I think everybody should be more involved in this. I think everybody needs to wake up and see what's happening systematically to the future of women and girls um, and the, the definitions of motherhood, fatherhood, all of that. It's all at risk right now. The degradation of the family is definitely at risk and our children are absolutely at risk. So it's everybody's stake. Evans says the Let Women Speak event this weekend will bring the global movement for the protection of women's sex-based rights to Austin, Texas. We will be meeting and gathering um, on the 12th in downtown Austin at 7 p.m. to allow women to speak publicly, openly, and boldly about the erasure of um, females in language and law. So we have featured speakers coming from all over the country and even one coming from Mexico and Everyone um, has an opportunity to share their story, their experiences. The ACLU of Texas disagrees with the Save Women Sports Act, saying trans students deserve to participate in the sports they love. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Three men face charges after a riverfront brawl in Montgomery, Alabama. Law enforcement is continuing to investigate, and more charges are likely. And just a warning, this video contains violent content that some viewers may find disturbing. The August 5th clash was captured on video from different angles and was widely seen on social media. In one video, two men shove each other before several fist fights erupt. It ends in a man being handcuffed by police. In another video, a woman alleges that people started the fight by assaulting a security officer who was trying to get them to move their boat. She said the conflict was cheered on by onlookers. The Montgomery police stated that the main brawl was between the co-captain of a riverboat and a private boat owned by his family. The riverboat was carrying 200 passengers, but it couldn't dock in its designated space since the private boat was there. Because the fight appeared to be racially charged, officials said hate crime charges are possible, but not likely. Three men from the private boat currently face charges of third-degree assault, which is a misdemeanor. When we return, will oil reach a sky-high price of $90 a barrel this year? The Energy Department says it may get close. And an electric vehicle company, once praised by President Biden, now faces bankruptcy. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back, everyone. You might want to reroute your summer road trip. Oil prices might be going up. The U.S. Energy Information Administration projects $90 per barrel by the end of the year, up from the current $85 per barrel. Here to discuss is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, it looks like Saudi Arabia's oil production cuts are taking their toll. 
Yeah, Chris, I, I mean, that that's definitely a factor, but there's a lot of factors that can Im impact uh, gas prices, oil prices. That's uh, including how much inventory there is and how much demand will also push up or lower prices. Now, Don, <laughs> I was planning to go to the Catskills this summer, which is not very far from New York, but if I was planning to go to California, how would this impact my trip? Are the prices at the pump going to be a little higher? Well, well, you have to consider more than just the distance. You have to travel in, in, in this weather because if it's very hot, I, I presume, Chris, you would have to turn on the AC, right? And that could cost you um, more than just the distance you're traveling. Sure. Well, hopefully it won't be too hot when I make my trip up to the Catskills. <laughs> well, bring some water, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Now, now Don, we're also seeing, of course, um, high inflation, um, higher interest rate hikes with the past, over the past couple of years. Um, <clears throat> in October, student loan repayments are going to start kicking in again. And we've just heard that there's a record high credit card debt in the country, over a trillion dollars. It seems like with this, uh, now with this higher gas prices forecasted, things will be uh, pretty hot in the American economy. Well, there's, there's also the, the factor of are we going to see a recession this year or next year? But yeah, Chris, there, there's a lot of factors here that, that's, that, that are at play. Um, earlier, I spoke to an energy expert, and what he told me was that he actually disagrees with what the EIA is saying about prices reaching closer to $90 a barrel. Um, let, let's, let's hear what he has to say. Here's Tom McNulty. And now with me to talk about oil prices is energy expert Tom McNulty, president of TJ McNulty & Company. So I wanted to ask you, the energy department is forecasting oil prices to approach $90 a barrel, around 86-ish um, later this year. So I understand you have a lot of experience in the energy sectors. Um, so what do you think, Tom? Yeah, that's the EIA, right, from the right, DOE, right. the alphabet soup. I think it's a little bullish. I mean, keep in mind, when prices are high, uh, companies and countries that make oil barrels try to make more. I mean, it was just late last night, I think, that Iran has announced they're going to increase production. They're going to try to get to two and a half million barrels a day. That's a big increase. I don't know if they can do it or not. There's a lot of leakage around OPEC and OPEC plus, people cheating. There's a lot. The Russians will, will produce as much oil as they can to finance their war, oil being sold into India and China at a discount, and American production is coming up. So I'm less bullish. I think, you know, it's possible we get there, but if we were to get there, it would be very temporary. I think there's more going to be more downward pressure. All right, where would you put just ballpark uh, a price for a barrel? For you mean by the end of the year to, yeah, to where yeah, EIA sure. is? I think it will be where we are now or lower. I mean, I would say probably back into the upper 70s, mid to upper 70s, maybe around 80. Um, Saudi Arabia apparently is still extending its uh, production cut. I mean, that should have upwards pressure, right? Yeah, less, they have less power than I think they used to. And I think, keep in mind, trading happens with the marginal barrels on the edge of the market. So there's upward and downward movement, a few dollars here and there on news. But the Saudi efforts are, you know, they're, they, they're offset, I think, to a large degree by some of the factors I mentioned. Production from North America, the Iranians, all kinds of production, you know, perhaps coming online over the next few years out of, out of, out of South America. So I think that they are being very defensive. And I think that's a move that 
we can expect them to make, but I don't think they have as much power over the market as they used to. What about the impact of demand? I think that should be going up a little bit. Yeah, but I think that that it depends on who you believe in terms of recession and what's happening worldwide. Uh, I think there's still a tremendous amount of growing demand throughout the developing world, Southeast Asia, Southwest Asia. I think that you know that offsets flattening demand to some degree in Europe and North America. I do think demand, however, is is still increasing, and you know normally again that would. You, that would be bullish for prices, but I just think there's a lot of supply and there's a lot of potential for supply. Keep in mind, it's a commodity. So when prices are high, you want to sell more of the commodity and it, it causes production to go up, regardless of what the Saudis do. So then in your view, gas prices at the pump uh, will be little changed this year? We're in this trading range. Yeah, I mean, you know, five, 10 cents either way. I don't, I don't see a spike uh, higher, and I don't really see dramatic declines. All right. Thank you so much today, Tom. Hey, great to see you. you. President Biden is asking for aggressive action to make federal employees return to the office. It comes after a report showing multiple agencies have mostly empty buildings. A government accountability office reports show headquarters of 17 federal agencies are using 25% or less of their capacity. White House Chief Staff Jeff Science sent an email to cabinet members on the issue. He said returning to in-person work is critical to the well-being of teams and will create better results for the American people. Science wrote that workers should return by September and October. The local Washington economy is also suffering. The mayor of Washington asked the Biden administration to bring the workers back or let her reallocate the empty offices for other uses. The California-based electric vehicle company touted by President Biden has filed for bankruptcy. Proterra made electric buses and electric vehicle parts. The company cited various market and macroeconomic headwinds in its announcement. Biden once praised the firm for helping America try to become the world's biggest electric bus maker. The firm is now seeking to raise more operating capital or find a buyer. Proterra CEO says the firm will sharpen its focus on supplying batteries. Proterra has been closely linked to the Biden administration. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm once served on its board of directors, and Proterra CEO was once appointed, was appointed to serve on President's Export Council. The company also stood to benefit from Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. It included around $5 billion to replace existing school bus fleets with electric or hybrid buses. A major recall from Chrysler, nearly 45,000 vehicles have problems with their airbags, which may put drivers and passengers in danger. The problem is a piece of interior trim that could interfere with the airbag. The recall includes current and last year model Jeep Wagoneers and Grand Wagoneers. Any Chrysler dealer can inspect the vehicles and correct the problem at no charge. Chrysler is planning to mail letters to all owners of the affected vehicles September 22nd. Nearly 30 abandoned cars fished out of a lake in Florida. The find was made last week by underwater search team that specializes in missing persons cold cases. It turns out the vehicles were not connected to any of those cold cases and no human remains were found but authorities are investigating to see if the vehicles are linked to other crimes. 
They said due to high numbers of missing people and vehicles in South Florida, the Doral Lake was one of many locations they are searching. And they'll know more once the vehicles are pulled from the bottom of the lake. More than 40 cold cases are under investigation in Miami-Dade and Broward counties. Wildfires in Hawaii today raging with high winds, burning hundreds of acres in Hawaii and Maui and forcing evacuations. Multiple communities were left without power. Footage shows fires blazing across the horizon. Hurricane Dora passed to the south of Hawaii, fueling the fires with strong winds. The conditions are expected to continue through today and Thursday. Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke issued an emergency proclamation acting on behalf of Governor Josh Green. Firefighters are on the move, and the Hawaii National Guard was also activated. Ten public schools in West Maui are closed today. Authorities will look into the cause of the fire at a later date. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up all the way from Russia to Ukraine, two orphans finally make their way back to safety. We have more on the pair's journey to freedom. And how is the war affecting the younger generation in Russia? Four of them relate the shifting priorities in their lives. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. A House memo details payments Hunter Biden received from Russians and Kazakh oligarchs. It brings the total the president's son received from foreign sources to $20 million. It also says the only product he sold was his father's name. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has suspended Orlando's top prosecutor. He said she neglected her duties and allowed violent criminals to escape the full consequences of their crimes. A major American electric vehicle company filed for bankruptcy. It was once praised by President Biden for boosting the nation's electric bus manufacturing. A dangerous journey through Russia. Two orphans make their way back home to Ukraine. It took quick thinking on the part of the older sister to stay out of the Russian orphanages. Here's her story. 16-year-old Ilona Pavluk is describing the moment she returned home to Ukraine. She spent nearly a year and a half locked away, hiding under Russian occupation. The Russians came to their village near the Dnipro River at the start of the invasion last year. She says she couldn't leave the house, not even to the park just outside their home. I wasn't studying. I haven't finished school. I don't have any documents, so I'm considered a dummy, I guess. I couldn't go anywhere because my father was worried. They said that the Russians could rape me or kill me. There have been such cases. Her father died of AIDS last month, leaving her and her younger brother, Maxime, orphans and making them part of a particularly vulnerable group amid the war. Orphans are the most urgent cases for groups like Save Ukraine, a charity that maintains an underground network inside occupied parts of Ukraine and Russia itself. 
повернути дітей з Сирії. President Vladimir Putin claims to have annexed Russian-occupied parts of Ukraine. As a result, Moscow says it has gathered hundreds of thousands of orphans and vulnerable children there, taking them back to Russia. Ukraine says the practice amounts to forced deportation to erase their Ukrainian identity. That's a crime against humanity, something Putin has already been indicted for by the International Criminal Court in The Hague. I knew I had to leave because they would have taken me to Russia, given me a Russian passport, and sent me to an orphanage. One or two days after I left, they came to my house, and I wasn't there. What if I had stayed? Ilona and Maxim were able to escape with the help of Save Ukraine, but the journey wasn't simple. They traveled through Russian-held territory, to Russia itself, then to Belarus, until they finally made it back into Ukraine. Details of the journey are kept confidential to protect activists along the route. The pair are living at the group's hostel in Kyiv until they can sort their paperwork. Then they'll be off to a relative's living in Slovakia as a refugee. But for now, Ilona is safe and no longer needs to hide. Russian youth are feeling the impact of the war as well. How have their lives changed? Let's hear from four youth in Moscow about their shifting priorities. My plan to find a job abroad failed. I quit my job here. I was in tears every time someone I knew was leaving Russia, as it seemed that we would never see each other again. Four young Russians living in Moscow. They told us about how their lives have changed since the start of what the Kremlin calls its special military operation in Ukraine. All four were born around the turn of the millennium when President Vladimir Putin ascended to power and have known no other Russia than the one he controls. 23-year-old Sabina spoke of her upended plans to study abroad. Before 2022, I had thoughts that I could go somewhere to study, enroll in one of the universities abroad. I wanted to go to university in Finland, but kept putting it off, although I wanted it so much. Now it seems that I should not go anywhere, not without my family at least, because, okay, I might go away, but who knows what might happen next. Something might happen to them if they don't leave the country with me. Maxim Lukyanenko is a student from Krasnodar. The 20-year-old is also the founder of White Raven, a patriotic pro-military organization. Our focus is shifting from the west to the east, I think that the future is in the East. A lot of interesting things will come from the East. I see my future in building bridges between Russia and the East. 23-year-old Konstantin Konkov was elected as an independent candidate to Moscow's municipal council last year. Since February last year, a lot of people I know, activists and others, have left Russia. It has an impact on our campaigns and the quality of horizontal communication. Just think about it. The most active people, people who do care about what's going on in the country, have been ripped out of the country. Very few have stayed in this situation. It makes carrying out any campaigns, public or political, very difficult. But we carry on. Others spoke of jobs being upended and fear of an unknown and unpredictable future. One common sentiment, 
there was not much they could do to influence Russia's direction. 25-year-old Ivan Sokolov briefly left the country for Kazakhstan when the partial mobilization was announced in September 2022. He has since returned and now works as a data analyst. My friends are here. My family is here. I was born and grew up in this country. I can't change or fix everything in the country, so I'm forced to come to terms with it, get used to it and live on. Still to come, three skeletons, an oven, a shrine, and the charred remains of a bed. Archaeologists uncover a home in Pompeii, shedding light on the lost city and the lives of its inhabitants. We'll be back with more soon. Welcome back, everyone. What was everyday life like in ancient Rome? New excavations from Pompeii shed light on life before the volcanic eruption that wreaked havoc on its residents. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on the find. Three skeletons, an oven, a shrine, and the charred remains of a bed. These artifacts provide a glimpse into the everyday lives of Pompeii's residents. We found um, three skeletons in near the, the oven, in the bakery part of the house. Um, it was very interesting for us because they were really badly damaged from um, collapsing structures. At the foot of Mount Vesuvius, Pompeii still lies largely buried under pumice and ash. A volcanic eruption wiped out the ancient Roman city in 79 AD. A third of the city is still unexplored. The excavation site is an entire city block. Both luxurious and modest homes dot the neighborhood. This house here is probably some, something in between on the upper uh, side uh, because we have uh, paintings, we have this still life here, there are other rooms with frescoes, but there's also a big bakery. Time seems to have stood still since the day of the eruption. Human remains and still-life frescoes provide clues about life in the lost city. It's some kind of focaccia with um, pomegranates and dates on it and maybe some kind of spices. It actually looks like uh, some kind of ancestor of, of um, modern pizza. Ash covers all of these extraordinary artifacts, but it also preserves them. Pyroclastic deposits somehow preserve the equilibrium of the frescoes. Imagine an underground environment in which humidity, evaporation, heat, and therefore thermal change are in a state of equilibrium. And above all, everything is compacted, so nothing moves unless there are earthquakes that could shake the ground. The sudden and deadly eruption left much of the city intact. The site is now an important archaeological project and tourist attraction. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Get ready for the best meteor shower of the year. The Perseid meteor shower hits its peak this coming weekend. According to EarthSky.org, the crescent moon will be barely illuminated. Officials with the Abrams Planetarium at Michigan State University say dozens of meteors will zoom through the sky per hour. To get the best look at this heavenly sight, people are advised to find an area with little to no light pollution and hope that it's a cloud-free day. People in the Northeast Hemisphere will have the best viewing. 
The Perseid meteor shower ends on September 1st, which is the meteorological start of the fall season. It's all too easy to let tension and anxiety build up. Here's NTD's Gina Marie from Strong Mind and Body with some tips to help you relax. Routine thoughts can put tremendous strain on us. We might be thinking, if I don't work hard, I'll be sifted out. Or, no matter how hard I work, I can't get everything done. Stress leads to mental tension and inner fatigue can lead to psychological anxiety. So how do we adjust? Psychologists remind us not to let our emotions lead us by the nose. Severe anxiety and stress can lead to an increase in blood pressure, accelerated heart rate and other physical changes. This includes sleep disturbances, decreased concentration, digestive issues and reproductive system disturbances. All of these can likewise lead to greater stress and anxiety. Every emotion exists for a reason, but we can choose not to be led by them. Here are four tips to help relieve tension and anxiety. Number one, focus on the moment. Instead of worrying about how to stop worrying, focus on what you need to do right now. When we focus on what's right in front of us, the thought of I haven't done this and that yet doesn't come to mind. Number two, keep everything in order of priority. Make a list and prioritize. Do the important and urgent things first and less important and less urgent things later. When you make a clear list of the things that you've been thinking about, you won't be distracted by what's left to do while you're doing things. Number three, do your best. Do your duty and await the outcome. If you constantly keep yourself on standby just in case there's more you have to do, you'll miss out on many wonderful things. Therefore, as long as you know you've done your best, you needn't concern yourself with the outcome. You can only adjust your own situation. And number four, set aside time for yourself. Take care of your physical and mental health as your health is more important than anything else. Don't ignore what's going on in your heart. Only by allowing time for yourself and talking positively to yourself can you adjust your own pace in a fast-paced society. Any form of anxiety can lead to physical and mental health problems and there are ways to relieve anxiety. But if you feel anxious for a long time, you should seek professional help from a psychologist as soon as possible. They can help to assess your situation and help you to overcome anxiety. A new billionaire is made. The Mega Millions lottery announced that one winning ticket for Tuesday's jackpot was sold at a Publix in Neptune Beach, Florida. The details behind the winning ticket have not been released yet. The jackpot was worth an estimated $1.58 billion, the largest in the lottery's history. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.